In this episode, Today, Pro I would Vicky like Foster to the talks about all Fire things pickleball, podcast. from what is involved Vicky in Foster. building a court at Welcome, your house Vicky. to what it means to Thank build so a point and stack. She also I dives deep into you on the how to be a great pickleball partner in doubles. Really an so let's get to the intro back to hear more from both, you know, playing and, and tournaments and teaching. So go ahead and welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. After I was a lifelong tennis player and had come to the U.S. from Canada playing college tennis, and we, my husband and I, after college, had lived for a short amount of time, four years in Washington State, and neighbors of ours happened to have a pickleball court, and my husband and I are always super competitive with each other and we'd play ping pong and pool and you name it, ladder ball and just loved pickleball. And we eventually moved back down to Arizona and I was teaching tennis down here, but in the back of our minds, we never really forgot the sport and decided when our kids were in elementary school, we would move somewhere we had enough land to actually put in a pickleball court and start competing, at least with our family and friends of ours. So, you know, I think you're probably one of the first people I've talked to that actually built their own pickleball court. What was involved in that? Well, having come from a tennis teaching professional career, I knew that we wanted to pay for post-tension concrete so that the court would not crack quickly. So there were a lot of sport court companies putting them in for a lot cheaper. And I think we made the decision to pay quite a bit more to have a, a quality court that we knew would last and not crack every winter. So we got some bids. It was a bit of a fight with the HOA in our neighborhood, but we won it because a lot of neighbors in our particular neighborhood had basketball courts and such. And we had to argue a little bit, but that noise was no different than someone, say, playing basketball in their own yard. So between the HOA and uh, getting the bids, it really was a relatively, as long as you have the space, a simple process. Oh, well, that that's good to hear. One day I might build a court in the back of my house. I, I actually have an RV and just pay, I mean, paved where that is and can play some skinny singles. But maybe, do you have a pickleball court now at your place? I don't. We, you know, we had always had a plan that we would sell our home when both our kids graduated from high school. So we did. And, you know, that was a couple of years before the pandemic and perfect vision of hindsight. You know, we would have probably kept it had we known we'd be, you know, sitting around for a couple of years, you know, not being able to play on public courts and traveling and that type of thing. So, but we no longer have it and miss it, of course. I bet. So are you still playing in quite a few tournaments? I, I guess I would say that, you know, prior to COVID? Yeah, prior to COVID, I did play in quite a few tournaments. And then with the whole last year with them canceling, you know, of course, like everyone else, not so much. But I think on a positive note, at least in Arizona, a lot of the players got very creative and started to plan three hour little tournaments with or without entry fees and such. So uh, a lot of people stepped up and were great at organizing little miniature tournaments where we all remained competitive and still got to see each other. Now, besides playing in tournaments, you do a fair amount of teaching, don't you? I do. I, up until a couple of years ago, was teaching both tennis and pickleball and decided about two years ago to focus mainly on pickleball. And I knew Gamma's Never Stop Playing Pickleball camps were kind of 
in the future for me. And I'm a huge believer in continuing education from the tennis background. So I wanted to get involved with PPR and knew that I could do some travel, running some new pro clinician clinics with them. So I had to give up my club job in order to be more flexible with travel. And so what does that mean with the PPR as far as being a pro pro clinician? So what that means is that with their certification process, that there's really three components of being certified as a teaching pro. And one is an online test on just, you know, a full understanding of pickleball and rules and such. The second component is verifying somebody's level, a playing level. And the third component is how well they can teach. And so there's... You can pass in on an instructor level or a professional level. So you have to meet certain criteria for each. And so we see a lot of people that would like to test in that have no intention of ever making a living from pickleball. They just simply say live in a retirement community and want to make sure they're teaching the sport correctly. And uh, so they'll come and go through that test. And my responsibility is the on-court portion. So I will go through how we teach each stroke and then, then oversee the testing at the very end. Each of the people that are involved will do basically, they'll give a lesson. So so I'm, I'm curious, you had mentioned the Gamma Camps. Tell me a little bit about the format of those. So I was really interested in working with Gamma Pickleball Camps because I, coming from originally from Tennis Canada, I received my first tennis certification when I was 16. Tennis Canada was very games-based and and the philosophy behind it being instead of feeding a bunch of balls, that people would learn quicker and have a better understanding of the game if it was learned through live point play. And so Gamma had announced that they would do more more of a live point play attack to learning pickleball. So while we, of course, do some drilling, as soon as we can, we'll gamify anything people are learning. And that way, you know, they can take a look at everything, where their opponents are, what is the ball they received, what is the height it came in at. So it's a way to not get a perfectly fed ball, but in fact, learn how different things like speed and height and where your opponents are affect choices that you make. Can you also give an example of, you know, gamifying it? Because I'm not sure if you just mean, you know, playing within kind of the normal structure and and rules of a game or if you actually mean something else. So let's say that we're working on switching the direction off of the dinking rally. So if we were building a point, say, during cross-court dinking, and the idea is to switch the direction and attack the person straight ahead of you, you would start by having some friendly cross-court dinks. And when the opportunity came about, you would attack straight ahead and that would make the point go live. So you would start friendly. And then once the attack to you know, started, whoever wins that point wins it and you would play rally scoring. So, so it would be like one zero. So it's a way to, we're, we're still drilling, but we're attaching points to everything to keep people super, you know, interested in it and paying attention. Right. I was going to say, I, I really love that idea because I could definitely see it keeping people's interest because it's a lot like a game, but you're really practicing at the same time. Yes, exactly. Now, one of the other things too, that you mentioned is you talked about building a point. And 
you know, I, I know if people don't necessarily have a racket sports background and they come into pickleball, I'm not sure if they know exactly what that means. So can you give an example of what building a point means? Yeah, sure. A lot of people think it's one shot. If I could just drive this third ball, I'll win the point. And in actuality, and in particular, as you get into higher level pickleball, where people are anticipating that drive and can in fact block the drive, block the power. It's not necessarily about one drive wins the point. It's the fact that I drive and my partner moves forward to finish off a block volley. So the opponents will block the drive and hopefully it's sitting up just enough where my partner closes and can end the point with a put away volley. So the idea of pickleball is teaching sometimes combinations of point. It's not about just a dink. It's not one shot. It's the fact that if we're making our opponents move off balance or we're targeting the left or the right foot, the dink is not just a dink. What are we trying to do? Earn a pop-up so we can finish it with a volley. So it's really thinking in terms of combinations of shots and not just one shot. I just wanted to break in here and say, as pickleball players, we want to get better at the sport. And it was in a recent interview with Hella Spar, I realized I didn't even do 10% of what she talked about on the court. So I've signed up for a doubles course, and you may want to consider doing so too. You can get more information by going to pickleballfire.com slash doubles. And just to let you know, I do make an affiliate commission if you purchase her course, and this helps to support the Pickleball Fire podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Right. And and that's actually a great explanation. And one of the things, too, that, you know, are you normally still playing, you know, a lot of doubles or else are you also playing a lot of singles, too, at this point? Well, I when I first came into pickleball, I got started playing the Nationals, which were in Arizona with the intention there was no certification for teaching pros at the time. And so I had entered the singles and the doubles. And while I did well in singles, we got killed in doubles because we didn't understand at the time the third shot drop and, you know, the more of the softer game. But over time I have become, I have played a lot more doubles and singles and, and that switched a couple of years ago. I had foot and back surgery at the same time within a couple of months and I enjoy playing a lot more doubles now. The singles piece of it is can be challenging, especially in a tournament if I'm playing all day singles. And what do you find about doubles that makes it challenging for you? Well, I think I think with doubles, it's pickleballs, it's interesting from coming from a tennis background, people tend to play a lot more with the same partner. And even at any level of pickleball, it's very common to say, well, who are you playing that tournament with? There's very few teams overall in any level that consistently play together. So I think just getting used to a new partner and working through that adds an extra element of difficulty to pickleball because, or if you play pickup, I mean, the generally you drop in at a park. If you play three hours, you might play 15 games and maybe, you know, of them are with the same partner. And I think that adds a different element, you know, that's challenging with pickleball. And that's very true. I, I know I do a lot of drop in play. So I'm often, you know, competing or have a partner who really, I may not even know very well. So do you have some tips in terms of playing doubles and, you know, how, how to be a good partner? I absolutely do. I, 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 the first time that I ever participated on a team event 
would be when I was like 16 years old. And I started playing on a women's tennis team at my club. And then of course I played college tennis on a, on a women's team. And I've been teaching doubles partners, mixed doubles partners and men's and women's partners forever. And I'd say tip number one is no matter what your intention is in terms of offering coaching advice to your partner to not do it. And it's, it's probably the number one thing I've heard for my entire career in both pickleball and tennis, and also just with my friends that play both sports, that coaching your partner, especially during a game, just adds pressure. And, and that's usually not someone's intention. They just want to help their partner, but it just builds more pressure for your, for your partner. So do you ever hear of anybody who says, hey, I want you to coach me while we're playing? Yes, that is really an exception, though. And uh, people that say it, I'm not necessarily sure sometimes that I believe that they think that because you watch the added stress and and the when people start to overthink shots and not just what should I have done, but did I please my partner? And I think that that makes playing not not quite so fun. But just I you know I also think that it's really hard to be a partner. I'm not, I'm certainly not a perfect partner. It's like a marriage or a friendship. You have to work at it and sometimes you're like, "Oh, wow, why did they hit that?" And meanwhile you're like, "Hey, good choice." Or you know, like you you back them up and it's hard to do that. You have to work at it. You don't always feel what you're, you know, portraying on the outside, but but I think that the partners that we all like to play with the most are positive with positive body language and, you know, are cheering you on. And, and maybe most importantly, pickleball is a game of runs. And if your partner is starting to go downhill or you are, it, it takes, it takes a really strong person to step up and be like, Oh, I realized that, you know, my partner's missed a couple shots in a row. I'll be like, come on and try and you know, step and be like, you know, we need a momentum change here. Let's go and be positive. And that's hard to do. And it's a work in progress, I think, for everyone. So can you give me an example of maybe a time when you were playing, you know, in a tournament or something and just you and your partner really wasn't working well together? Yeah, I think that, I mean, that, I mean, actually that happens a lot. I think if you're, even if it, even if it's a social game in a tournament, be, of course, we have two timeouts. And so if, if your opponents are going on a run and you and your partner don't quite have it together, pulling a timeout makes some sense. But I also think that even in social play, just verbalizing timeout kind of lets everyone in the court know, okay, we got, we need to refocus here. But in an actual tournament, my partner and I have pulled timeouts and, and asked ourselves, okay, are we beating ourselves or are they beating us? And asking yourself that question together to come up with a strategy to kind of, and of course, ice the opponents, break their concentration for a bit. But I think the use of timeouts really helps kind of get it back together again. And, and again, it's a positive, what are we doing as a team? Not, hey, I think you should do X. It's It's the team that we need to focus on if we're having a conversation about how to beat an opponent. Yeah, that's actually really great advice because, you know, I think most people who play socially wouldn't even think about saying, hey, you know, time out. You know, like you said, it's a lot easier to do in a tournament, but it's it's good just to maybe, you know, walk to the back of the court and have a quick conversation with your partner. For sure. Like I, I, we, we do it a lot in social play and, and most of the players that I 
practice with are all tournament players. But when someone says timeout, usually it just gets a laugh from everyone on the court because we all acknowledge absolutely this is when somebody should be taking a timeout. So yeah, it's 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 good practice to do and it, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So, you know, any any other tips that you have for, you know, really playing with your partner and kind of just making the most out of your experience on the court? Yeah, I think um, making some decisions, even even in rec pickleball about like, who's going to get the center balls, having a quick conversation about that. And, and, you know, maybe I played with a partner once for quite a few tournaments, and we had a discussion and we said, the cross court you know, person is going, so we knew who was getting it or had first dibs on it. And some of those decisions, again, playing with a different partner each time, talk about it. And if people understand and know how to stack, just have a conversation before the game even starts. Hey, do you like to stack? Do we want to stack? And if you ask those questions before the game starts, you can avoid a lot of frustration during the game. Well, one thing I should go ahead and have you define too, and you don't have to go into it extensively, but just define what stacking is. Cause I think a lot of people who, you know, listen to the podcast may not have experience with that. So stacking is a, probably people have seen it on the courts where someone's serving and instead of their partner being on the left side of the court, when the server's on the right side of the court, you see the partner acting to the right of them. And the idea, concept being that there's several reasons you might stack. We might be trying to keep someone stronger forehand in the center, or we may have, if somebody has an injury, we can change the format of where we're standing so that we keep a certain person on a certain side. And there's several reasons for doing it. One being, of course, a strong forehand or overhead smash in the center. It also could, could have to do with mobility. If someone has a lot less mobility, there are reasons to learn stacking so that they can stay on the side they're most comfortable and balanced on. So is that pretty much standard, do you think, now at the, at the pro level is that stacking almost always comes into play? Yeah, it definitely is at the pro level. And, you know, really, I would say it, you're kind of seeing it certainly at the 4-0 level and up, it's quite common. And people that have done it a lot pop in and out of doing it, which it, which also gives your opponents a different look all the time. It makes them think a little bit more if you're playing a regular format and then suddenly you're stacking. It's just a way to give opponents a different look. Right. Yeah, actually, that that is good strategy. I know when I talk with Lee and Annalie Waters, they had been, you know, doing things, you know, in terms of the way they were on the court and which side they were on, you know, the same, you know, prior to COVID. And then I remember talking with them when they came back from, you know, playing after COVID. And uh, they, they were talking about how they were starting to mix things up and both felt much more comfortable on, regardless of the side of the court they were playing on. Yes, exactly. It's, it, it, I heard that interview with them and that's very true. You want to be versatile because what if they're not playing together? What if you get to the park and you're like, I really love playing the right side of the court. And then the person you're partnered with says, oh, so do I, you know, and it becomes a little bit of a head game and someone feels out of sorts right away. So it is good to be versatile and learn to play both sides of the court, you know, as well as stacking. 
Well, you've got a lot of great advice for pickleball players, and I know I've definitely learned some things today, too. If somebody wants to, you know, go to one of your camps, are you pretty much going throughout the U.S.? Are you mostly in Arizona right now? So with with my personal teaching, I'm mostly in Arizona, and I teach on private and public courts and at an indoor facility called Victorium. And with Gamma Pickleball Camps, I'll travel uh, to different states throughout the country this year. Well, all right. So I guess one last question, actually two questions to finish up. Tell me which pickleball paddle do you use and why? I have played with the Gamma Legend for about the last year and a half. And I like it because it's it's kind of a mid-weight, it's an eight ounce paddle, which is heavier than, you know, a lot of people play with. And I like it because I like the touch, the touch game and the spin game. I I return and hit a ton of underspin as well as topspin, and I, I like to feel my paddle and 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 not have it be too light when I'm executing more of those touch shots and spin shots. So I really like that. And Gamma about a year and a half ago increased kind of the core of their paddle by twenty five percent. So I just really like it's it's just got a really great control and a softer touch and the legend specifically is a little bit more of a wider body so when you're blocking against power it's very very stable all right and if somebody wants to reach out to you where's the best place to get in contact so if it's me personally then email is the best and it's vic vic foster at cox.net and in terms of teaching they're interested in a camp Gamma's camps at the website is never stop playing, never stop playing pbcamps.com. And uh, Victorium, the indoor site, if people are in Arizona, is dinkallday.com. All right. Well, it was great to have you on the podcast today, Vicki. I really do appreciate your time. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 